1: good afternoon tycoons and welcome to today's episode of tycoons of small biz i am your host here as always austin peterson coming to you live from a rainy gilbert arizona and uh, if this is the first time that you're listening to our podcast you're wondering what it is we do here at tycoons with small biz we are a podcast that's put together by small business owners for small business owners our job really is to prop up the small business owner throughout the country we believe that that's truly the backbone of the american economy And we have an opportunity or a platform here to be able to tell their story each and every week. So we invite a new business owner to come on, tell their story, share their successes, share their advice, share their failures, whatever it is that they can do to kind of get their message out, but also to help other aspiring entrepreneurs and business owners throughout the country. So with that being said, we definitely have a tycoon on the podcast today. But before I introduce him, I'm going to introduce my uh, co-host, Gary Braun of Pivotal Advisors. Gary is normally in Minnesota, but he's coming to us today from Palm Springs, where he's enjoying a month in the warmer weather and getting away from those Minnesota winters. So, Gary, welcome to the show. Oh, I'm really glad to be here in Palm
0: Springs because Minnesota is just getting pounded right now by snow.
1: Well, today's guest is definitely aware of what that uh, looks like and feels like. So we've got today's guest, Joe Churlock, president of Best Tool and Engineering Company uh, Incorporated, coming to us from Clinton Township, Michigan. So Joe, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And yeah, we're gonna be in the middle of it here tomorrow
2: afternoon. So I think I, I should have went down to Palm Springs with you as I didn't know you were gonna be there. I probably could have made that a trip. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, hopefully you play golf because that's essentially what Gary does. Gary, Gary is the first person I've ever met from Minnesota that does not fish or hunt. Either one. So, Joe, so here's what I know about Michiganders. I do. I know quite a few people from, from Michigan, and I know that they are called Michiganders. But everybody from Michigan seems to be able to show you where they are in Michigan by holding up the hand. Show us where Clinton Township is. Let's see, I gotta get you the right way. About 20 miles north of Detroit, up in this area. So if you're 20 miles north of Detroit, you're you're right on the Canadian border then, correct? Pretty, pretty, close. pretty close. Yeah. From
2: my house, I can go into Marine City and see the flag on the other side. So yes, we're close to Canadian to Canada.
1: Gotcha. All right. So Joe, before we jump into the business side of things, we always start by having our guests tell a little bit about themselves personally. And we've obviously had conversations ahead of time. So I know a bit about your story, but why don't you just tell us what you'd like us to know about you personally? Where'd you grow up? What's your family life like? Did you go to college at all? If so, what did you study? And and then we'll kind of jump over to the business side afterwards.
2: Sure, sure. I grew up uh, on the uh, west side of Detroit suburbs there. A lower middle class family, nothing special, so not a lot to tell. Typical childhood: uh, for three brothers and a sister. Small house, three bedroom. Before they started putting family rooms and living rooms and houses, small houses. You knew each other well. We um, didn't have <laughs> rooms for dresser in the in there. So you know, went to school there. Then my dad started a. Uh, he was a small, became a small partner in a shop. So then in my uh, um, early teen years, we moved across town to the northern suburbs of Detroit. So that brought me out here and kind of started shaping the way things were going to happen. My dad was in manufacturing all his life. I mean, Polish family, it's Fat Tuesday, so it's the perfect day to have me on top of it, which is just a good hard work ethic manufacturing type people. So that's what was in my blood. That's what I knew. You know, I didn't know it when I was younger, but as I started Cleaning up, sweeping up, that shop, uh, you know, cleaning the toilets and things like that. Right when you're, when you're young, to make money on the weekends. So it it started. Hey, the interest started to become to come there. And then probably one of the things, and people talk about influencing kids for manufacturing younger. And I remember to this day, and and we did a field trip in the third grade. Believe this or not, third grade, we went to the Ford Rouge plant, watched steel in. Pulled. And that's just an impression that I have to this day. We were on a catwalk. They probably couldn't do that nowadays. But here we are, third graders on a catwalk, just watching this hot steel rolling down beneath our feet. But that was a big impression on me and just to be in this type of business.
1: Yeah, that sounds, I mean, obviously I think that there's this this change that has happened in our country probably over the last 20 years. That might be a little bit of a stretch, but um, where there's there's just been this, Everybody needs to go to college mentality and, you know, you're well aware manufacturing jobs left the country and, you know, there's been a a huge change there. So kind of give us your thoughts on on where manufacturing stands today in the U.S. because there does seem to be this shift kind of back. Right. Yeah. And. And what about your kids? Are, you, are your kids involved in the business? Do they have interest in manufacturing the same way that your dad got you interested in it? And, and, obviously the field trip you mentioned as well. Well, my kid, I have three girls. I
2: have, what, two of them. They all worked for me at one point or another, but I never forced them into what they wanted to do. I want you to be happy. So my oldest is an artist. She does graphic novels and actually lives in Pennsylvania, but she worked for me, did my HR and things for about five years. They had it, they kind of had it made in high school because they got to work for dad. So what would dad do? He'd bring parts home for them to trim during the week after homework. (laughs) Then they had money for the weekend. And when our friends were saying, oh, hey, let's go out for the weekend. Oh, we got to work. No, they had money. They had the weekends off. They kind of, you know, learned that that was a pretty good thing my second daughter, Megan, she still works for me. She finished her apprenticeship in CNC. So she runs my CNC's here. And then my, uh, last daughter, um, who just retired from me about six months ago, she always wanted to be a photographer. So she was in and out of that business and then be came onto her own studio. So she, she, you know, she left it. It was nothing she wanted to do, but she saw, Hey, it paid the bills. Right. And, and it sort to lead me into
1: what I want to do. So now she's an entrepreneur on her own as her own photography studio. That's great. So for those who aren't in manufacturing, maybe describe what CNC is at the apprenticeship that your daughter just finished. It's a
2: machine tool. It, and it's kind of funny because I was just talking about this today. When I started in this business in the seventies, there wasn't a lot of change. I would go to the Henry Ford museum in Detroit and basically the milling machine that was there other than it was run by a steam engine bell hadn't changed just put an electric motor on it when I started in this business in the late 70s it was basically the same machine in the 50s 60, they started putting NC numerical controls on machines but obviously computers back then were very big and cumbersome in the early 80s they started putting they call them computer numerical controls and it goes back to when the desktop started coming out with DOS and so, these computers started to get, uh, machines started to get a little more s- sophisticated in how they ran X, Y, and Z and the programming of them. So, you could do, rather than doing it taking you days to set up to do a long run, now you could start doing short term parts on them onesies, twosies, and things of that nature. So, these machines basically are run by code. They can be manually programmed with X, Y, and Z positions. So, there's some math involved. And it used to be very math heavy. Now, computer programs that are out there now can handle all the math. You can see it on the screen, run gutter paths over it. It's a lot more productive than it used to be. I can tell you in the 90s, I had about a dozen guys. And I do double that volume in sales with half the amount of people.
1: So it's just a productivity factor has gone up so far. All right. So I want to have you circle back and then I'll let Gary Gary jump in and ask a question. but so in your mind, what's the state of manufacturing in the US today and what do you, what does it look like in the next 10 years?
2: It it depends, like with any company. It's not even manufacturing, right? It's no matter what you're doing and what that business line is. One of the mistakes, you know, I'm in I'm in the automotive industry area, right? We're in Detroit. My sales guys don't even touch this area because I don't want automotive. They're too cutthroat. So I kind of stay away from that and because our business is so diversified we're not having any issues and we're getting things coming back from overseas. What what's happening with people is they want it made closer now. They've done the go to China back and forth traveling to China and the issues that you have back and forth now a lot of that's being and there is still third, certain things that hey third world countries can do better and cheaper, right? They can make a toilet brush but if it's got to be something that's good, maintain tolerance, got to be held, then that's got to be done here. And they want it done as close as possible to their backyard. So in the state of manufacturing right now, and I always ask the salesmen, those are the best gauges, by sale, steel salesmen, everybody that comes in, those are the guys that I ask, what's, what, what's happening out there? And they're all saying the same thing. Depends on what you're doing. If you're focused on just one industry, you're not going to be around too much longer. If you're diversified out like we are, you're gonna, you're, you're strong and you're busy. So we're busy. We're not having any issues. Um, I wasn't thinking this year was going to be that great. Again, with economic conditions, what they're forecasting. So you just, you know, here you go as an entrepreneur getting off track of our, our discussion. Is when I started this business, we made a product off a print, right? didn't care what was happening outside. Now you have to be an economist, right? Because things are happening overseas that affect your business and what work you're going to get. Those are the kind of things that really drive it. And I think that's true for any entrepreneur. It doesn't matter if it's manufacturing, but manufacturing is well and good if you're keeping up on the current technologies and you're diversifying your sales.
0: I have a lot of uh, manufacturing clients myself, and I think the whole covid pandemics and kind of opened their eyes because i think a lot of people were really shifting business overseas because of cost and they could do right. it cheaper over in china and everything else but then when we ran in all the supply chain shortages and everything else it's like that that's a pain i can't wait all the time for china to ship stuff over and they were shut down and i think it's changed people's perceptions are, are you seeing the same thing
2: well, this actually, it started in 0809. okay? 0809, where everybody else, I mean, I was, I don't know how I was the lucky one. Effectively, Rome's burning around, right? I go out the door and there's a for sale sign on every building on my street. And I'm buying new equipment, okay? At that time, we just happened to hook up with a company to do medical carts. It was for medical IT. Government had mandated, you're going to have to have uh, everything on computers. So we were right in that rush with that. So how this came about was the gentleman, the company I got involved with, they were getting their carts from China. Well, they couldn't get them fast enough, as fast as they could sell them. So he said, you know what? We're in the Detroit area. I got all these unemployed uh, engineers after the big three. Let's bring them on. And he said, hey, I'm going to reinvent the wheel here, come up with a better mousetrap, which he did. He grew that company uh, exponentially from, I think they started at 5 million and within three, four years, they were at, he sold it at 80 million. Wow. But he saw that value of, I can't, I can only get so much from China and I have this. So he sourced everything here, everything he possibly could. I mean, there are still things you still can't source in this country because it went away and it would be too expensive to bring it back and restart it here. But the better portion of everything on this cart he sourced here, than he was able to deliver and deliver on timely fashion to the customer. So we kind of saw that start back then.
0: Joe, I'm I'm always interested with entrepreneurs. What made, I read a little of your background, I saw your story on your website and everything. What made you make the leap? So you bought a one-man shop way back in 91. You kind of grew up in the business and whatnot. What what makes an entrepreneur suddenly go, I'm going out on my own, which is scary. We've we've been there before. You know, did you have customers lined up already or that first leap is always interesting to me so tell me a little bit about your story
2: okay uh, this and it's kind of interesting because it's good for anybody because to, to preface this I see a lot of talk a lot of articles on LinkedIn and people want to teach entrepreneurship okay I'm not sure I mean I'm never saying never right but I'm skeptical that you can teach it I think you can nurture it in the right people right that may not have had the opportunity. But there is something there. So in, in that, it's a little bit of a, a little bit of a story here, but I'll kind of go through but because it is interesting because I, you know, I wasn't born this this lower middle class family. So I wasn't born into money, didn't have money or anything. My dad was a small minority partner. His company only lasted about 10 years. You know, I started in co-op in high school, working in a manufacturing company. And they offered for me to start an apprenticeship. And I says, well, you know, I'm only in 11th grade, right? In high school, they said, we don't care. So I was in 11th grade. I was going to school at high school till noon, working from noon to six o'clock in the shop, and then going to college at night, starting in, in the 11th grade. That went till I was 29 years old. I wow. Once I started, and that's a good way to do it. Pay as you go, never had a student loan. So I I got, uh, I finished my journeyman tool and die maker apprenticeship and I said, well, I'm going to keep going. So I got a manufacturing engineering degree and I got electrical engineering degree to go with it. So I, uh, then I just continued working. But about that time when I finished school, I kind of hit 29 and said, you know what, I'm. I, I'm schooled out. I've put 10, 10 plus years of school. I should have a doctorate, right? By now, I got it. like, uh, but again, it was all by while working full time. I mean, I'm working 10 hours a day and going to school at night. So what it really ended up happening is I kind of started getting bored. I, all my life, I, I had bought my house when I was 25. I got all these degrees done, set all my goals and I hit all my goals. I'm 29 and I hit all these goals. So what do I do now? because I didn't think beyond that because I didn't think that would happen that quickly right so I, it it really bored them I started doing work on the side I started programming cnc machines on the side I started mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys remember when they started with desktop computers when you could start buying parts and put computers together yourself right. so I started selling those you know put the dos in it and train people how to use it you know it was kind of that you know, you're going on a date and he goes, no, it's not a date. It's kind of like, no, this isn't a business. It's just, it's not a, it's not a date. It's not a business. Um, But just, you know, so I was doing this on the side. And I remember when I was working, going back in the mid eighties, I was working at my dad's company and one of his part-time employees come up to me and he says, you know, he was really impressed with my work ethic and all and complimenting me. He says, you're going to be a business owner someday. And you know what I said to him? I said, I'm not that stupid. (laughs) So so you can see so far where this is going. There is like no sign of any of this. I I don't want any part of running a business. I'm happy coming in, punching in at seven o'clock, going home at 5.30 every day. So as, as the course of just doing these side jobs, I ran across a company that was in financial distress. They wanted me to do some programming for them. Then once the gentleman that was running could see what I could do, offered me to, you know, said, hey, you want to give you a p- small part of the company, he gave me 5% just to, for incentive. So I spent two years there and turned the company around. It was a an interesting lesson. Uh, how do I want to say it? The The owner of the company was less than ethical. Okay. <laughs> so it was... It was an experience, but it was it was a learning experience. Even though it was how not to do it, it's still a learning experience, right? Because if you look at all of my background, so I've got manufacturing engineering, I got a journeyman. Where where do I have any business experience? Where do I have any business going into business, right? So this was kind of my hard knocks um, learning experience how to uh, you know run a business. I got to go in the office, see what you know, dig him out of trouble in the office, work with the accountant. So uh, I, I, for two years, I did that, turned the company around. But basically, he was spending money faster than I could make it. So I said, you know what? And and, and none of this ever was, you know, planned or I want to be an entrepreneur. It was just kind of evolved. I say it evolved into. I mean, if you would have asked me when I was 25, 20, 30, I would have said no. I, and I said it. I said, no, you're nuts. I'm not that stupid. But it just kind of evolved into becoming the shop owner. I can do better. I'm bored. I want to move on and do some things. Well, just pause there for a second, Joe. So, so you're a
0: technical person. You, you, you've you, exactly. got your education. You've got your apprenticeship. You, You understand how to do the work. But right. now you walk into this company that's upside down a bit. And now you're diving into numbers and you're looking at how to use, I love entrepreneurs. I turn it around like that's just an easy thing to do. So I, what did you, what did you walk into? What did you turn
2: around when you got into this business? What did you find? Uh, well, I mean, just payables that hadn't been paid for years. And I mean, just very little work. I mean, I brought most of the work in from people I knew. He mm. had a couple of, he so had one small job. That's how I got started. When I came in, people knew me. I brought some of that business in with me, uh, not a lot, but I was able to turn it around. We went—I mean—went from basically nothing to I think we were doing about a half a million a year in two years, you know, and starting to pick up new customers. But again, it was a—it was a situation of. He was one of these guys, every customer was a new customer. Right? <laughs> I don't know if I got to go any further than that, but every customer has to be a new customer because they weren't happy at the end of the day with them, whether he tried to nickel and dime them somewhere along. Again, and it was a great learning experience. Don't do this to people. Don't do that to people. Not only that, but it got to a point to where it was like, well, you know, if I'm going to start a business, I got to get out of here because my reputation is going to go down with this right. guy. Right, so it, I got to I got to move on because before it gets to be too late. Besides, I won't get into tax issues, and you know, you pay this taxes most of the time, some of the time, you know. So we won't. But again, it was a somewhat of a alert, and I still it, this was a trial by fire. Okay, this was you had a guy here doing this who did not know how to run a business either. Was more technical. Okay, so I still didn't really. I have the, I had enough knowledge, okay, but not enough, right? And I can be, you think you know enough, but you don't know what you don't know, right? So that was the, that was the thing. And that, that thing is what really held me back for a long time in this business was thinking I had enough knowledge, but not, you know, in the business end. By the same token, if I had gone to a business school and I went out and I just started a business, I would have ran into a gentleman like I was working for and he would have fleeced me, right? So there's things there's things you need to know in both ends of this business. But it did it did hurt me for a lot of years not having enough because I didn't realize business was good. The 90s were good to me. I started in 91. Um, it was September of 91 recession two kids one on the way so you don't don't do that if you can help it but timing <laughs> timing being what it was it was time to do that right so it was a it was a challenge so I mean the first years of running my business you know how I ran my business from a from an office standpoint okay we shipped enough this first week to pay rent great that that was my books right yeah okay next week we've got the electric bill paid great. So that's, that's how it started. And so so how,
0: what were the big first steps that you take? So we bought out our partner. Let's set that aside for a second. But now it's your business and we want to get past managing you know, paycheck to paycheck and job to job. So what was your first
2: big key to, to growing this thing up? Okay, honestly, so I started in 91. My big first key was in 2019. Mm. Okay. I did it the hard way. I did it. I grew the business. You know how I grew the business? I outworked you. The other thing I can tell you from my dad, one of the pieces of advice he gave me that that was good advice at the time, but hurt me was, if you want it done right, you got to do it yourself.
0: Mm.
2: Great advice, but not if you're going to run a business, right? It doesn't scale real well. Exactly. Okay. And that was the problem, the scaling of it. I I would plateau grow, right? You'd hit that plateau, you'd hit something, and you'd go down. You'd go up, you'd go down. I watched my business, the the curve of sales. Like I said, 90s was great. 2000s came came in a recession. And in this business, in this area, the um, I don't know if you know how the automotive pays their bills. But uh, you know, I'm I'm tiered down, three, four tiers down, right? They don't even know who I am the automotive pays their bills to their tier ones 90 days after start of production. So that means until 90 days after they start making cars, their tier ones don't get paid. So all during the late nineties, what was happening in, in this town was you had companies going out of business, going in front of a judge saying, I'm filing bankruptcy. I have 50 million in receivables and I only have 20 million in payables. But everybody was cash broke. Yeah, they had no money, and I did really well up to about 2000. Hit a recession. If you look at 2000, the decade of 2000, GM was functionally bankrupt. Right, that whole decade. I mean, they were they were just hanging on by a thread. So the business really dropped off. Plus, everything went overseas in the late 90s. That started 98, 99. By the 2000s, I mean there's nothing. And this town is dead. 2005, I'm 45 years old going, okay, everybody is saying, and 2000 was my worst year. I laid everybody off. I was down to myself. I told all my guys, I said, don't sell your tools, but find another career. Because that was what it was. Everybody was telling you. Think about if you're an entrepreneur and people are, naysaying saying you, all I heard for the whole year, decade of the 2000s was shut it down and find something else to do. So 2005, I hit 45 and I said, okay, what do I want to do? I'm at a pivotal point where I could sell the equipment off, go back to school, do something else. Um, but the only thing I wanted to do was teach at the time. So I took a hard look at it and said, well, in Michigan, everything was, you got to remember governments were having trouble at the time. They weren't making bailouts. All teacher salaries were getting cut. So I, if I was going to do it, I'd have to move to North Carolina, the, the salaries weren't very good. So I, I, after a lot of thought, I said, you know what, I'll just downscale because I, I have enough work to get by. We ended up getting into some uh, big glass lock windows and what was big during the 2000s housing, right? And again, it's following the markets, right? So kind of dumb. This is, and this is all, this ain't my brain's like, hey, let's get in housing. This was all dumb luck, right? God looks out for stupid people, right? And and I got, I believe he was looking out for me because here we got into housing business and we muddled through, I mean, I would say we muddled through from 2000 to 2008 as a nonprofit. Okay. If we made profit, there wasn't anything to speak of, but I said, you know what? I'm just, I don't know anything else. I can keep it going. I can make a profit if I continue to downsize the company. So. 0809 again. When we got into the medical stuff, that's when it started to turn around for us, and it, and the light started to go off and started going. Okay, you know this job isn't going to last forever, which it did. It plateaued. It went up because the government mandated. Right, everybody got their carts, and then guess what? All the big suppliers that I worked for, they all sold off. <laughs> they took their profits and ran for the next thing, and I started going. You know, I got to start looking at it the same way. You got to follow the markets, follow the sales look at which way you know where is the next trend going to go but still that and we did very well we probably doubled our size we doubled our space from 2008 to about 2018 but i still could not get a certain the growth that i wanted i couldn't scale okay that was the problem and i didn't even know that term scale right that's what i'm saying so here i am i'm already 20 some years in the business and still just beating my head because again, not having that business acumen, you know, having a mentor. I mean, that would be the biggest thing I would suggest to people, get a mentor. There's a lot of programs in different, different areas. I did just do a talk in North Carolina in uh, November about that. And it was sad because one of the things I realized as I was giving the speech was that, you know what, most of the people here aren't the ones that need to hear it. It's the ones that are tied up in their business. And aren't getting out there, but yeah. uh, that and that's the key that it's really in um, understanding. Get some outside help. Yeah, so, and, and it was kind of an interesting story as to and we could probably I think we're coming up on a break here pretty soon. Well, maybe we'll go into that story next. What really my epiphany was and how that changed over because uh, uh, you know still I would still be struggling to this day to get my company any further than it is if I had not learned the business end of it and what I could do and to give me that ability to scale the company like we're doing now. I mean, the sales today, we're getting sales, we're getting calls from from all over the country. Now, Canada, we're doing work for everybody and people are seeking us out. Whereas prior to that, I, I didn't know anything about sales. If sales were, hey, the phone rang, people that I knew, right? And that's that's what a lot of it is, the first, uh, first few years, is the people you know. Well, you know, that runs out after a while. And you're sitting here going, well, hey, things are great. Well, but the phone ain't ringing anymore. How, I can't make this company grow anymore. What's missing? So, and yeah. that's the key, is what's that missing piece? Again, not having that business... Background business degree, never took a never took a class on business. Everything I took,
1: every class I took was technical. Be good at what yes. you know. we're up against the break here. So we will we will pause here in just a minute for a call to action. And I and I know what you're gonna say about 2019. So and I know our listeners want to hear that. So I'm I'm excited to have you kind of go through that and what what you changed in 2019. But before we do that, I want to kind of just throw this out there that the reality is you may have done it longer than, than some, I wouldn't say most, right. Cause you, you went the way that you went, you ran the organization, the way that you ran it, just based on your technical know-how, the people that, you know, sheer grit, hard work, determination, you know, all those kinds of things, every entrepreneur, almost every entrepreneur will start out that way. Right. The the point is like, how do we get to that next level? And and you're going to, you know, you're going to share what you did, which I love. And and the fact that, you know, for people who are listening, a lot of people know how to paint or manufacture this or do that, you know, do be an HVAC contractor, whatever the case may be. Well, I'm good enough to go out and do this on my own. So they go out and do it on their own, but they get to that plateau that you mentioned earlier. And it's because they typically don't have that business know-how, but, too many people believe that the only way to get that business know-how is to actually stop what they're doing or go to school in the evenings at a traditional university and you're going to share with us that there are other ways to do that. You mentioned the mentor program but you're also going to mention kind of what you did here in in 2019. So hold that thought for a second, grab a drink of water. We'll share a quick call to action in 30 seconds or so. We'll be back and we'll talk about what you did in 2019 that uh, that shaped where you are today. Please also follow us and then message us on LinkedIn for your no-obligation, informal valuation of your business. We look forward to hearing from you, and thanks for listening to the Tycoons of Small Biz podcast. And now, back to today's program. All right, Tycoons, welcome back. Austin Peterson and Gary Braun here, co-hosts of Tycoons of Small Biz. We're talking to Joe Cherlock today, president of Best Tool and Engineering Company out of Clinton Township or Detroit, Michigan, and uh, to this point, Joe shared quite a bit about his journey, the first 28 years being in business and what kind of led him to that point. But now we're gonna give uh, Joe an opportunity to tell us what he did in 2019 that has really just completely changed the trajectory of his company over the last uh, three or four years now. So Joe, take it away.
2: Okay, well, awesome, like you said, just before the break, and uh, we, we start our business because we're passionate about something, right? And it doesn't have to be many; it can be anything. And I look back when I started, it basically it's a wing and a prayer, right? Most business owners they start with a passion for their work, right? I can do it better attitude. I can tell you after now 30 years in business, learning the hard knocks way. The one definitive statement I can make is passion is not a strategy and passion is not a plan. That's the problem. Okay. You can only, with passion, you can only get as far as the day can take you, right? Not only that, but I fought that thing with my dad. You got to do it yourself if you want it done right. Well, guess what? Why could I not scale? You can see the, the the fallacy in that. So around early 2019, I started doing something that I stayed away from that. I was actually afraid of doing, which was networking, Okay. Networking to me was I'm just going to get a bunch of salespeople calling me for things that uh, I don't want, or people that want things I can't give, right? They're going to want money. They're going to want. So I stayed away from networking, but I decided, you know, I have to do something. I have to get out there. So I started networking, getting out and doing some things. Out of the blue, I get a call from my county um, economic development. They said, yeah, we heard of you from somewhere, but we don't know where. But we'd like to come down and talk to you. So I said, "Okay, great." But yeah, I'm trying to get out there and get myself out and be seen. Uh, so definitely come on out. So they came out and they had, and again, this is this look into this. You get everybody all over the country. States are states. Customers are are you, the small businessman, right? That's where they derive their revenue. The state's competition is other states. So get your Get with your county and between states, county to county. They come out and they had these two programs that they put out in front of me. One was a uh, program that's out of Western Michigan, um, the Edward Lowe Foundation, uh, which was a good foundation. Again, and there's plenty of these. But the other one that really piqued my interest because of the way they presented it is mm-hmm. what's holding you back? What, why can't you scale and grow? And I'm going, okay. Yes, that's what I've been looking for for years now. And they presented me this Goldman Sachs 10,000 small business program. Uh, Anybody that is not familiar with, but it's Goldman Sachs philanthropic arm. They realized that, hey, just like you guys doing this program, Goldman Sachs realized small business is the backbone, right? Small businesses become bigger businesses. So what can we do to help them grow? This program was free. I mean, before they, they left, when the, when the county left, I ran to my computer and I was signing up. I mean, I, how can I not do this? It's free. And there is certain criteria. You have to be in business so X amount of years. You have to have at least turned a profit at some point. They wanted, you know, they wanted. there's a little bit of criteria there. I met all the criteria, which was great. And I was, luckily, other people hadn't been accepted. I was accepted on one of the first go-throughs that we went through. This program changed completely my whole thinking. This is, I call it an MBA in a box. It was a three-month program. It was Fridays, okay, all day Friday. You left the business, because that was the first thing they asked you in an interview was, who's going to run your business while you're not there? Well, I was well-established enough to where I'm here now and it's running and I have people there, so I'm okay. But, um, they asked me what I wanted to get out of the program. And I, I told them, I, yeah, I just keep hitting this ceiling. I cannot grow this company. I get so far and I stop, I hit a, I hit a ceiling one way or another, and I can't figure out what it is that the problem is to get me moved, moved on. Um, they asked me if I wanted to know about the program, what was going to be involved. And I said, no, surprise me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and it was, it was a surprising and it was, uh, the program is, um, funded by Goldman Sachs. It is the business whole business portion of it is, um, that, the curriculum is set by Wharton school of business. And the uh, uh, the teachers, uh, people that they have come in are just top notch people. Local universities are involved. They fly people in to see. You know, they had a negotiations expert. I mean, that was one of the things. I'm I'm no negotiator. I'm just some little guy out here. How am I gonna? You know, always afraid to go into a customer and at, do an ask, right? Um, this negotiations class, like, it changed my whole vision of of how you negotiate with people. And that person who they brought in was uh, Maury Tapur. I don't know if you've heard of her, but she negotiates for the NFL. She's written books, excellent negotiator, very simplistic two nights of classes that just open your eyes as to negotiating with people. What do you want? Going in prepared. You know, one of the simplest things was going in prepared, right? And you don't think about it, but do your homework. What do you want? What do you want to get out of this? then they went through all the business aspects of from managing the business, from the books. But it was really keyed, you know, not only managing, and there was in businesses, there was businesses, oh, I'm manufacturing. There was business, there was an accountant there. So we, you know, we did, what does an accountant need? Well, they're okay, they're great at the books, but what do they know about sales and marketing? So this touched on all of the pieces that were missing. So I may have been good at, something and they put us in groups and I could see that. I mean, they did a very good job at putting people in groups uh, when they did the interviews of who could help each other in certain areas. Cause he always had somebody strong at your group before that could lend some advice as to uh, a particular situation, whether it was a technical question on accounting or something like that. But this program went, uh, but it was really focused on growth. Because I really didn't understand until we got into the few, first few weeks, what they were really pushing was the growth, which is the thing that I was missing, the growth and the growth opportunities, right? So how do you how do you make your company grow? So besides being scalable, knowing all the business things they're teaching you, the biggest thing at the end of this program was you had to pitch a growth opportunity. So you had to come up and say, okay, what's my growth opportunity? What am I going to do with it? How am I going to make it happen? At the end of the program, you pitched in front of real bankers that had money to fund you. So, uh, it, So it's no lightweight class and it's a realistic taste of growth and what you can possibly do. I was always afraid, again, based on my experience prior to this, I don't want to see more than 20% growth any given year. Because I did that. I hit 20% growth, not knowing. And it was very difficult to manage when you don't have all the business. That's all I could manage was 20% growth. After this program, I don't care if it's 100% growth. I know how to do it, how to manage it, how to put the right people in the right place to get that growth done. Joe, Joe, what
0: uh, sounds like an awesome program. And I think a lot of the the tycoons who are listening can relate to that ceiling. They get to a certain point, they can't get past it. They, I hear it all the time as we deal with uh, small businesses. If you look back now with your, your newfound knowledge and what you've applied and everything, if you look back, what do you think were the, the one or two or three things that
2: were most limiting you from, from breaking through that ceiling? Sales and in the, in the plan of growth. plan of growth. So I've already kind of got my succession plan in place and bringing up my uh, uh, protege behind me. And I've already challenged him with what's my next, what's our next growth thing. I don't need to know today, but if all we're going to do is sell widgets, I mean, there's that thinking of do one thing and be the best at it, right? So I'm going to have a widget and I'm just going to sell this widget and do nothing else. Hey, that may go great for a while until gym down the street comes up with a better widget, right? So what's our next plan? What's it? and again, fundamentally things are changing so fast in whether it's manufacturing or any business. Like I said, I'll go, I'll, I'll go back to where I said I go to the Henry Ford Museum and this machine hadn't changed from you know the early days to the 70s. Now the change is exponential. So what are we doing? What are we going to do next? I don't see this company being exactly the same, doing the same thing it is in 10 years. We may, we may not. But if we're not watching and focusing on growth opportunities, the problem with focusing on growth opportunities is, so here's the breakout thing is, if you're too busy working in the business because I have to do everything myself, if I want to do it right, then I cannot focus on those growth opportunities now I like I that so having a knowing where your growth is
0: going to come from and having a planner on that that's a key piece yep. and then you just kind of threw in the word sales and my hair on the back of my neck went up cuz that's my that's my wheelhouse so so what about sales did you learn that that you had to do differently
2: well get a sales apartment cuz i didn't know the difference between sales <laughs> and marketing right if you would have told me what's the difference between sales and marketing i'd, I'd have been on it i'd tell you 2 years ago 3 well, this is nine I'm Time's flying, right? So in 2018, sales and marketing, they, they meant the same thing to me. Yeah. Right? In mm-hmm. networking, getting out there, hiring a sales team to do things, having a plan, what we could grow. What is our strength? Fundamentally, we're a plastics company, okay? We can do cradle to grave. We do products where we drop ship for customers out or anything in between, okay? Mm-hmm. Well, if you, if you want a plastic part, You can go to Google an injection mold company and say, you know, there's a hundred of them. I'm not that biased to say I'm the best in the world. We're a good, very good company. And there are a lot of other good companies, competitors. But what can I do to set myself apart? Yes. And what this did, and it's something that actually that brought out in me this class that I wanted to do was since the 70s, we were involved in plastic bonding welding. And it really showed me this class in in developing this growth opportunity um, and how to look at it, how to plan it and say, is it going to be feasible? There was a, I found a big hole because in this welding market, there is nobody that does smaller run stuff. The equipment Mm -hmm. is expensive. So nobody does smaller run stuff except us now there's there's i i don't know too much competition so now that's how we go in with our marketing we offer you this this is something other and people are now seeking us out for that expertise because normally our business from the welding came from the machine manufacturers who sold the tooling that we made to go in the machine okay with the machine as a turnkey product and that's the way they liked it that's the way they wanted it and that way they could button it all up and have a sale never did they think you know you could increase your sales with a smaller you know get to smaller guys to be able to do this they sold it as kind of a turnkey this is all it's good for but the machine could be retooled for anything you want so that's a huge huge, that's a huge
0: lesson i mean that So I, I find this. I find any business has a hard time differentiating themselves, but you found the segment that you can talk to Now it's you'll find everybody within that segment that needs short run. and, and right. now your salespeople have a better direction and everything else that, that's brilliant. That's awesome
2: because what we what we did in in one of the classes I had at Edward Lowe on sales was we everybody was looking for the magic Google thing, right? How can I be on the first page on Google, right? And I said, you know, We don't have to be on the first page on Google for injection molding, but we are if you go look up hot plate or vibration welding. You'll get the machine manufacturers, then you get us. Now we have people, we're the first ones to come. We're doing work for Buell Motorcycles is coming back. You go on a bike week since you're down there, you'll see our our work on Buell Motorcycles. How did we get that business? Because, and I specifically, we ask now, right? How did you find us? He said, well, they're in Grand Rapids. He said they typed in hot plate welding in Grand Rapids. Nothing there. Hot plate welding, Michigan. Guess what? Guess who's first? They're, okay. Nobody else can do it. He's, and he even said, we have multiple molders near us that could do this job, except they can't weld these two parts together. Hmm. So who gets the job? We've got a new one that we're working on developing. It's in the battery sector, and uh, they're out of British Columbia. They seeked us out the same way, out of Google because of our expertise in plastic welding, because they need two parts, but it's not a high volume. It uh, it started out at 3,000. Now they're saying it's up to 8,000. So obviously right there. So now we have people, now we've got people coming to us, looking for us. You have to be a leader, not a follower. Okay. And that's the other big thing. You want people to be copying what you're doing, which is why I say, what's our next growth opportunity? I don't know what it is yet, we're still following through on this one, getting all the equipment we need, but you've got to continue to look forward and say, what's that next big thing? What do we need to do? Is it something a little bit, I mean, you want to stay within your area of expertise, right? I'm not going to go start a car wash. I make plastic part. <laughs> stick, it, stick with what you know, right? But there's still a wide variety. Um, in my case, in plastics, it's a blessing and a curse, but what is plastics in? Everything. Yeah. So my market is huge, right? But that's also a curse. How do I target all that market? There's not enough money to target all that market. So yeah. that's why we kind of honed in on utilizing this specific, okay, this is what we do best, this welding. Let's do that to bring the work in.
0: Now that That is a, a trap that a lot of companies get into is they know how to do this thing. They're like, anybody can use it. But it's really hard to become a master at everything. You know, you, you have to understand what's important to each industry and how they use it and everything else. And even the salespeople that you hire for that is going to be different because their their knowledge is going to be different.
2: Right. And we we do a different, we technically say like I have a good salesman. He's excellent at running down the leads. But when he finally gets that lead, me or one of the engineers will go with them that can talk technical, right? Because if I'm going to come and sell you something, you know, we've all been through the salesman thing. I don't want to hear the BS. I want to hear what you can do for me. So we want to, so, you know, again, it's 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 identifying those kind of things. But again, backing up, I can't uh, st- uh, stress it enough is, if you're working, if you're out there every day working on your business and, and turning handles on a machine or you're out in the store running the cash register, you don't have time to think of these things, right? I wouldn't have had time to think, how can I leverage this knowledge we know into the sales because why? Because I'm not. I'm working again. What did I do for 30 years? I outworked you, man. I I put you out of business because I worked 12, 14 hours a day, seven days a week. Wasn't that great? And thank God my wife is still with me. Okay, I've given her plenty plenty of reasons to to suffocate me in my sleep. I always say, but you know she she understood I was doing what I was happy and what I was passionate about. But again, having that time in the business to. Think about your sales and your growth and those things. That's the key. That's if you want to grow. You've got to get away from you have to do everything. Right people, right spots. Again, part of the program was hiring the right people. How do you find the right? I mean, the first thing I started looking for when I got out of the program was executive assistant, right? I said, I got to find somebody to do all this menial stuff that I have to keep running down myself to give myself. Where can I give myself more time? Where do I need to put people in a certain place? And there's a lot of programs out there that can help you do that. Whether it's mentors, there's local programs, whether it's in disadvantaged areas in Detroit, they got some. We're working on our own utilizing EOS a little bit. We're not fully EOS, but we kind of already recognize where our problems are. I mean, we're working big on process for scaling. Also, while we're working on the sales, we're really honing our process for scaling and and hiring too, because obviously the hiring issue is such a troubling issue now. So we're working on a full training program where we can just bring people in off the street if they have the enthusiasm to do it. We'll teach you how to do it.
1: Yeah, excuse me. What I hear from you, Joe, is, you know, you you ran this business for 28 years by blood, sweat, and tears, whatever it took to, to make it kind of, you know, Stay together and, and figure out a way to make a living for your family, and you know, at different times for other families, and at other times it was just you know your family. Um, but then you know what I hear is, I'm trying to do some quick math. You're you're probably 62, 63, based on a comment you made earlier, and I hear newfound desire, newfound energy, newfound, you know, opportunities in front of you, all because you met with somebody from your local council on economic development who turned you on to this Goldman Sachs program. And then you learned all these things that you'd been missing throughout your, throughout your business for the previous 28 years. And it's completely changed your life.
2: Yes. Get out there and network. Like I said, that was probably my biggest mistake. Was not getting out and networking with people, talking to people. And it's so much easier now, you know, just on LinkedIn, you can get into groups. There's, there's uh, roundtable groups, right? Management groups. You know, the other thing I was always concerned with was the one that we went for a, a weekend at Edward Lowe for a retreat. And if you got a chance, look up the Edward Lowe Foundation. It's a fantastic organization. But we went there, and, and the first evening, we're, we're introducing each other. So, you know, I'm Okay, I'm who I am. I do plastics. And then there's this gentleman over here, he does socks, sells socks on the internet. This other gentleman, he does siding or and insulation. And I'm and I'm sitting there going, Where, Where's the manufacturing people? These people don't know what my business is like. They don't know what my problems are. And then through the course of that weekend, the light goes on as we're discussing all the same problems that we have, right? So don't go seeking out. It doesn't matter. You get into like a roundtable discussion with different businesses. We all have the same problems.
0: So I mean, I, I there are the some. I okay. still found the same thing, Joe. I, I'm in a roundtable bunch of CEO peer group as well. Yep, and, and they're fantastic. Got, yeah, they're awesome. And, and I find a construction person and a professional service person and one person who owns a school bus company and everything else, and they have nothing in common with my business. But everything in common with how to run a business, and that's exactly. really where I get the back. The exactly,
2: light. and that was that was my mistake as I stayed away from all of those kind of things. And don't I'm, I'm urging you, do it sooner than me. Okay, it's going to make your life a lot easier in the long run. I mean, I spent. I remember one night I was spending. It ended up uh, having like a evening just get together, and I was the guys that were selling their socks on the internet. It was the first time that they started getting competition and they were losing sales. So, you know, at least I could give them from my perspective hey, I, my sales have just been a roller coaster. Here's how I got through. You got to persevere, you got to do something different. Um, so, yeah, definitely get involved, get involved in programs. Uh, again, county, start at your county economic development, your state economic development. I mean, they're all there to help you succeed because. At the end of the day, that's where their revenue is derived through our tax money, right? They want you to succeed. I mean, they're they're the enemy, right? It was like the other thing the Goldman Sachs thing taught me is I was I was all the impression that the banker is my enemy, okay? And now I have the best relationship with my banker. Why? Because now I know how to talk to him. I know what he wants to hear, what he was expecting, okay? And I understand what I'm talking to him about. So I... Every year when we we re-up our credit line, I always almost do like a, uh, um, uh, yes. a, a, a publicly held company. I give them a synopsis of the year where I think we're going. And you know what? I never have a problem. I, I always used to have problems. But I probably change banks more than people change their socks, right? Mm-hmm. And now I've got a good relationship with a banker because I understand from his perspective what he's looking for.
1: Well, I'll tell you, Joe, your your energy is infectious. I feel like we could talk all day, but you know what you've shared today with our audience and with us as the co-hosts, I think has been invaluable. It's great to see this newfound energy of somebody who's owned a business for over 30 years now and this foresight into the future and this excitement for the future. So I want to I tell you, thank you for being willing to come on our podcast and share your story. And, and hopefully there are plenty of people who are listening and, and realizing that this is you know this is them they're living this and there are some things that they could have picked up along the way today in our conversation that will help them to to be in this the spot that you are in today as well yep yep and
2: anything i can do to help you know i'm willing to give back and and uh, so yeah that's that's the thing is, is yeah. just get out
1: there and get yourself out there yeah so what's the best way if anybody wants to reach out obviously whether it's you know they need the the plastic moldings or the the welding done how do they get in touch with you or for you personally, for from a mentor standpoint, or any questions they have? Uh, website www.bteplastics.com.
2: And my email is joe.churlock at bteplastics.com, which I use BTE Plastics, but I bought the company. It was Best Tool and Mold, and I kept Best Tool in Engineering. I thought it was pretentious, but I said, you know what? I'm going to make, I'm going to live up to the name. It forced me to live up to the name, right? I said I really don't like the name, but I kept it for that reason. Just again, hard headedness.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. Again, once again, really appreciate the conversation, Joe. Appreciate you being here. Gary, any closing comments from you? No, some valuable lessons there, Joe. I appreciate you coming on and sharing your story because I think a lot
0: of uh people whether in their manufacturing or any business, they hit that ceiling and they don't know how to get through it. So some some uh good lessons about how to get out of the business, make a plan, figure out where growth is coming from and get help on the outside because right? you can't do it all yourself. So great lessons. I appreciate you sharing.
1: Thank yeah. you for having me. Yeah, you bet. So just one last comment. If you if you like what you've heard today and like the content that we're putting out here at Tycoons and Small Biz, please go online to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us and like, subscribe and, and leave us a review. Thanks for being here today.
0: You've been listening to Tycoons of Small Biz, a podcast for small business owners by small business owners. Join us every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Arizona time for an introduction to another great tycoon. And be sure to follow us on our social media channels for links to all of our episodes and great content.